Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtain a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of those things that are visible. Verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, though which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and though it's dead, still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. He was raptured, is the idea. For before he was taken, he had this testimony, and may this be our testimony, that he pleased God. For without faith it is impossible to please him, that is God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who are diligently seeking him. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark or a boat for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. This morning we're beginning a brand new series right in the middle of summer where for five weeks we're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about the unseen. Three times in the seven verses I read to you, we have this word unseen. It's a dynamic of faith. It's something that's our privilege and we need to talk about it. We have this wonderful chapter here and, and there's so many questions that come out when we talk about faith. You know, one of the questions is what is faith? Because there's so much teaching about faith. And we're going to talk about what faith is. And right here you have a definition. The only definition in the Bible, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of the unseen, of things I can't see with my natural eyes. I can't hear with my natural ears. We're going to have to talk about what faith isn't because there's a lot of teaching in the church. And it confuses people. And I live through it. So we'll walk through all those things. Uh, one of the burning questions of faith is, do some people have great faith? Is it only for those who are gifted or talented? And then others are relegated to like a second-class status. We'll talk about that. Is faith only exercised by Christians? You may never have thought about that before. How is faith exercised? Is there God's part? Is there our part? Who or what is the object of our faith? How does faith harmonize with everything we know? So we'll get through all these in the next five weeks. Habakkuk, the prophet, said the just, people that follow God, believers, born again, uh, blood-bought believers, walk by faith, not by sight. Christianity is a journey. You and I are on a journey. It's a journey of faith. We're not by walking by what we can see. We're walking by something unseen. And we're all moving somewhere. Now, eventually we're moving towards heaven. But what we're moving towards in this life is holiness. And that's a walk of faith. Romans says that we are called, this is a general calling, we're called to be saints. Ephesians says we're called to be holy. We're called to walk in love. We're called to forgive. There's so many things we're called to do, and it's Christ transforming us from the inside out. That's our general calling. But when you read through Hebrews 11, and I pray you read through it all five weeks, we're going to see men and women who accomplish great things in not a general calling, but a specific calling. And we're going to go through that as the weeks unfold. You know, I'm called to be a pastor. That's not your calling, probably. Some of you are called to be moms, bricklayers, dentists. And some of you are called to be missionaries. We all have a general calling, 
And then more specifically, there's something God has called each and every one of us to do. So I want to begin this morning, I want to talk about what is faith? What is faith? Now, there's some ideas out there. Some would say faith is a leap in the dark, right? This is what skeptics say of you and me. They think Christians are people on Sunday mornings who kind of check their mind at the door, and they sing a few happy songs, and we read a book that we're, you know, hoping is true, and, and, and we're doing all this by faith. So we'll talk about that. Others believe faith is a force. This is very dangerous. They believe there's certain laws in the universe. Jesus came to unlock those laws and teach us those laws. Luke 17, Jesus said, if you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, then it would obey you. Mark 11:23, Jesus said, if you would say to this mountain, be thou removed, cast into the sea and don't doubt the things that you say, then those things would happen. And so people say faith is a force. And we need to have faith in our faith or faith in our words or our words are containers of faith and we can create reality just like God created the world. And so we'll look into all this. Uh, again, some people think faith is a gift or a talent reserved for Billy Graham or Martin Luther, but not you or me. Others are very unclear about the object of their faith. Now, I know this from personal experience. You've probably read about it where people with certain illnesses, maybe they're bipolar or they have kidney disease or something like that, are convinced through the scriptures that God is a healer, that healer, healing is in the atonement. And so somehow they are convinced that they should stop taking their medicine, stop seeing a doctor, because if they do, God will heal them. And one of the questions I always have when I look at that is, look, if God tells you that, great. But what is the object of your faith? Is the object of your faith God, or, or do you have faith in not taking your medicine? See, that, 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 that's how close this really is, and we have to look at it. By the way, no one here would say David didn't have great faith, right? David slays Goliath. He slays him in the name of the Lord. It's the greatest upset in human history. But you know, later, David's son is dying, and he's sitting on an ash heap, and he's fasting, and he's praying, and the son dies. He believed God for healing. The son dies, and he gets up, and he tells his servants, make me dinner. And they're like, David, what are you doing? One minute you're praying, and now you want to eat. And listen to what David said. He said, while the child was alive, I believed that God was gracious. But now that he's gone, now that God has made that decision, he said, he'll never come to me, but one day I'll go to him. So David, one of the greatest men of faith, saw a child die. Is God a healer? Yes. Why don't all people get healed? I have no idea. And we'll leave that with God. Some people think faith is betting the farm. Someone taught me a long time ago, if you bet the farm, you might lose the farm. But people bet the farm because they think, oh my gosh, here's what I'll do. I'll sell everything I have. I'll quit my job. I'll go become a missionary or I'll start a business or I'll do that and God will bless it. No, that's not how it works. We're going to see in Hebrews 11 in the entire Old Testament, it all starts with a burning desire placed in us by God. A dark night of the soul where we walk through the challenges. Is this God? Is it my natural mind? You know, what's going on here? And then a step of faith. It's never, this is what I'm doing. God, you bless this. It's always, this is what God's doing. It's already blessed, and I'll take a step of faith. Betting the farm is, farm is presuming on God's goodness. Presuming that God will bless. Hebrews 11.1 1 is our definition. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of what I can't see, the unseen realm. 
I looked up a couple other translations, the NIV. Faith is being sure. So there's a level of confidence of what we hope for and certain. There's certainty in faith of what is unseen. New American Standard, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and there's a conviction of what we cannot see. So far from faith being irrational, checking our mind at the door, a leap in the dark, faith has evidence, faith has reason, it has clarity, there's certainty to faith. Now, let me explain this. You all came in this room this morning, right? You all meandered around and you found a seat and you sat down. And by the way, most of you sit in the same seat in the same service every week. The only thing that really upends me is when the wrong person's in the wrong seat. Because I'll look over here and say, wait a second, he always sits over there. Is that a double? Is that a lookalike? So, but anyway, everybody came in here and found a seat. Now, did anyone check the seat? Did anyone see if it was 30? Did anyone check the weight level of the seat? Now, I've broken nine chairs in my life. If you invite me for dinner, that's a danger you're going to have, especially beach chairs. Um, we have folding chairs here at church, and I swear, this is unbelievable, in a staff meeting one day, boom, my chair exploded. It just physically exploded, and I was on the ground. So chairs have weight limits. Did any of you check your chairs this morning? No. It's ridiculous. You're laughing. Why? Because you've done it hundreds of times. See, there's evidence that that seat will hold you. You sat in it by faith. What if we tricked you this morning? What if all the chairs were made out of paper mache? What if we took all the screws out, right? Like, you sat in it because you sit in chairs all the time. And what I'm trying to convince you of, outside of mathematics, where 2 plus 2 equals 4, and gravity, where if I walk off the stage, I'll fall, everything else is by faith. There is no certainty. Now, if you needed surgery, if you needed knee replacement, hip replacement, heart surgery, what would you start doing? You would look at Philadelphia Magazine, best doctors. You would call friends. You would vet out the process. And then even then, you're going by faith because you've never done it before. If you move somewhere, dentist, doctor, schools, you know, it, it's all by faith because you have never done it before. Now, let's take another step. Look at verse 3, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. By faith, we understand. See, there's knowledge, there's evidence here. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. God spoke the world in existence so that the things which we see were made by things that are invisible. Now, when we discovered atoms, we understood that was true. The Bible was way ahead of science there. But there's something else going on. There's a reason why the writer of Hebrews inserted it here. And what he's telling us is that there's evidence and there's knowledge. We're not checking our mind at the door. I'll give you an example. Even before I was a Christian, I didn't believe in evolution. Why? Because there is something undeniable about the world we live in. Right? Common sense. Ben Franklin said common sense sometimes is the best thing. So when I would walk around, think about it. We are moving on a ball of dirt 67,000 miles an hour through space. We are spinning, right? It's summer. You get your beach chair. By the way, I love to go to the beach alone. I don't have to worry about what anyone wants to eat, if they're hot, cold, happy, unhappy. I just like going alone once in a while. And I look out at that blue water in the sky, and it's so strange because the horizon's there, and, and the world looks kind of flat. And you realize, like, after the horizon, the water's going right and left, and it should be spilling over. But because of gravity, we just keep spinning, and, and it's so undeniable. It's undeniable we were 
designed to be here. And it's undeniable the world was designed for you and me. So look at the stars. So look at the constellations and, and, and all the beauty that God has given us. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Bob, that's just because you're not a scientist. Let me quote Galileo. Galileo said, I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who endowed us with sense, reason, and intellect has intended for us to forego their use. We're, we're the only ones on the planet that can think, feel, and reason. And Genesis 1 and 2 says that God created the world by faith I understand it. Now, I wasn't there, and neither was any scientist. There wasn't a controlled environment to prove it. Only the angels were there, the morning stars singing together. But when I walk this planet, there is evidence around me, and there's evidence inside of us, DNA. DNA kind of closes the argument, right? There's a genetic code in you and me. It's very complex. And anybody who does code knows there's a coder. Someone designed the code. Ray Comfort has a wonderful illustration. You might not think so. I think so. He said, do you remember when the men went to the moon? For millennials, I was in first grade. They wheeled the TV into the room. God, was that dull. And we watched the man go to the moon. And Ray Comfort says, when they went to the moon, can you imagine if they found a Coke can? What would they think? Well, they would think somebody beat us to the moon, right? Because a Coke can has art and there's liquid in it. It's designed. And yet we walk around this planet and we see things far greater than a Coke can. And yet it all got here by chance and uncertainty. I got time to spend time with Doug Axe when we were at the Faith and Science Conference. He's written a book called Undeniable. And it's really a primer on evolution. If you have children going to college or whatever, you need to read this. But uh, Doug writes this in his book. He said, the courage to defend what he calls our design intuition comes not just from the common science argument that we've developed in this book, but from the bigger picture as well. Everything seems to fit. Humans stand apart from all living things as the one species that seeks wisdom and knowledge. If we knowers were meant to be, then surely we were meant to know we were meant to be. And indeed we do. Well before our formal education begins, we have already mastered the simple science of interpreting everyday experiences. This science produces in our young minds what Doug calls the universal design intuition. With or without parent approval, we know instinctively that living wonders so remarkably good at being what they are Spiders being spiders and orcas being orcas exist only because someone made them for the express purpose of being what they are. If you saw this instinct as being more heart than head before you start reading, I hope the journey through this book has corrected that imbalance. There was a Wall Street Journal article where Berkeley professor Allison Gopnik said, by elementary school age, children start to invoke what she calls an ultimate God-like designer to explain the world around them, even children of atheists. It's undeniable. And yet it's by faith. We, by faith we understand. We understand that everything seen was made ex nihilo, from nothing, Latin, God speaking it into existence. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, All I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all that I have. frontier. It's what we walk by. It's what we live by. And it's what we understand. Now, we have evidence. 
By faith we understand, right? We're not checking our mind at the door. We're not believing in spite of the evidence. By the way, that's what a lot of people who believe in evolution do. They've never looked at it. But everything we believe, the Bible, Jesus Christ, there's evidence. There's, there, there's something God has put in our heart. We believe it by faith. It's tangible. Now get this, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a more excellent sacrifice. By five, verse 5, by faith, Enoch. Uh, verse 7, by faith, Noah, Abraham. We're going to go on and on. Sarah, Joseph. I mean, by faith, the great elders, the patriarchs. What's it saying here? Well, this is pretty ingenious. You've got to think this through. Not only do we have evidence, not only, have, not only is there a substance to what we believe, there is 6,000 years of people who have walked in the evidence. So, when God calls Abraham, you know, he's drinking honey beer in Ur of the Chaldees. By the way, that's where the word honeymoon comes from. They had honey beer, and when you got married, you would go away, and that was a honeymoon, but that's another idea. So, he's a happy pagan. And God says, leave your father's house, Genesis 12. Come into a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. And he gives him the boundaries and borders of the land, and your posterity will be like the stars in the heaven and the sand on the seashore. And he staggered at those promises, Hebrews. And I guess he did, because he had no one who went before him. But when God tells you something or me something, I have scripture. I have 6,000 years of people who saw the end from the beginning. I can look at Abraham and say, if Abraham can do it, I can do it. Moses can do it, I can do it. I have church history. Martin Luther can do it, I can do it. I have a God who has been faithful since a man and a woman were put on a planet. And that's why Hebrews 12 says we have this great cloud of witnesses, this cheering section leading us on by faith. G.K. Chesterton said, a man is not really convinced of a philosophical theory when he finds something proves it, He's only really convinced when he finds that everything proves it. So you and I have this great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. Now, as we read Hebrews 11, we're going to find commonality with all these people. Even though you think they're celebrities and members of the Hall of Faith, you and I have something in common with every one of them, and it's this word calling. They were all called by God to walk in the and all of callings, listen to this, is about the decisions you and I will make. That's what calling is. Moses had to make a decision to look at a bush that burned and was not consumed. Abraham had to make a decision to leave his father's household and everything he knew. Noah had to make a decision to build an ark in a place where it had never rained, and he did it for a hundred years. And calling is all about decisions it's all about god having us step out in faith now some of you already made a decision like this it's called marriage i got married at 21 years old and my wife were i we were compatible we were romantic we loved each other etc etc but can i tell you this two people that stand at an altar have no idea no idea what the future has no idea you have no idea what that person will be like in 20 years that's why there's a thing called a vow. For better or worse. For richer or poorer. For death or escape. The genius of marriage is I don't know what I'll become. Maybe I'll become a paraplegic. Maybe I'll suffer with certain illnesses and there's someone to go through life with me. That's the beauty of marriage. So every one of us at the altar married by faith. Because we had no idea of the future. 
here's where faith gets interesting, and here's where nobody talks about it. Faith, again, not checking my mind at the door, trying to leap in the dark. Faith becomes faith when there's commitment. When I said to my wife, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, that's when faith became real. Because I made a decision to be committed. To stay for the long haul, for better or worse. That's where faith flourishes. That's where substance and evidence, the unseen becomes reality. It burns in our heart. It's where hope turns into reality. At 30 years old, I started this church. People always ask me, Pastor Bob, did you ever see this day? We started with eight people in a Bible study. Did you ever see this day? And my answer is always yes and no. Yes, in a sense that we thought Delaware County needed a Bible teaching church. I believe church should be the best hour of the week. I thought living in community with a group of people was the best way to live. And so you start stepping out in faith, and you make this ironclad commitment, and you have no idea what God will do. In your mind, you think what he can do, but every step of the journey, you're enjoying it. Some Christians have destination disease. They see something over here, and they want to microwave it and get there really quick, and yet everything we see in the Bible is about a seed goes into the ground, it's watered, it's tilled, it grows slowly. Look at babies, they grow slowly. Your plants grow. And there's a faith in all of this. And it's the substance that keeps us going. It's the evidence of the things we long for. In this room, there are dreams, hopes, ambitions. Some of you want to get married. Some of you want to have children. Some of you want to be in the ministry. Some of you have relatives you want to see get saved. Some of you want to buy a house. There's burning desires in this room. Everyone has them. And the commonality we have with the Hebrew 11 elders and the people of faith is that God is taking us, and this is scary, he's taking us to a place we cannot see. Abraham had no idea where he was going. He's taking us to a place we cannot see. We have no idea what tomorrow brings. Scary. The other thing is, we like comfort. You ever notice that? You guys love this place. The air conditioning's on. No one's going to bother you. Everything's figured out. You love that. We love security. And as Americans, we really love it. Even though it's a facade. The The rest of the world knows it's not true. And yet God calls us out of our comfort. Abraham, again, the happy pagan. Moses, the prince in Egypt, they were all comfortable. Their decision would be, would they leave security, wealth, power, and influence for something they could not see? Noah and Abraham all had to make a decision. Now, let me help you with this. Because your life, your life is the product of all the decisions you're making. You can boo-hoo and blame somebody at the end. But your life is a pile of decisions you are making. And if we make them by faith, if we trust God, things will be better in the end. Now, the word decision, the etymology of the word is profound. It comes from Latin incision to excise to to cut off. Think about this. Decision means I am cutting off every other possibility than the thing I have committed to. So when I marry my wife, I cut off the possibility of any other partner that I would live life with or have sexual relations with. Does it make sense? See, it's not like, God, I'll go out and kick the tires. Or, God, I'll go out and try this, and if it doesn't work, I'll go back. Uh, 
A guy who did that is not in the Hall of Faith. You know what his name is? Jonah. Jonah presided over the greatest revival in human history. The most ruthless people that ever lived, the Assyrians. The entire city comes to faith. And Jonah never wanted to go. In fact, he took his resources and he ran down to Joppa and he paid a large sum of money to go the other way. Never wanted to be committed. Now, God still works through people like that, and that's a whole other story. Here's the point. Faith is all about commitment. And we're going to see in all these people, the going gets rough. It's rough for Abraham. He staggered at the promises of God. He lied about Sarah. And there's rejection, there's criticism. Anytime you face your calling, there's going to be people who don't see the end from the beginning. There's going to be people that don't want to come. David at Ziklag, the men wanted to stone him. Strengthened himself in God. He had to see the unseen to belong to the truth. Faith is about conviction. It's about commitment. Sometimes I have people come to my office and say, Pastor Bob, we love it here, and we're Christians now, but we got a problem. I'm like, well, what's your problem? Well, we're living together. And I'm like, okay, why is that a problem? They're like, well, we're convicted. Scripture says that two people live together is for marriage. And I'm like, great, here's what we can do. Go get a marriage certificate. I'll marry you in my office. You'll be married. Then we can have a marriage later and tell everybody the great story. Five people have taken me up on that in 24 years. Wonderful story. Five people. Now, some people don't take me up on it. Some people I don't see again. Some people reject it. And every time they reject it, they always give me this line, Pastor Bob, you don't understand. Love that line. I'm 53 years old. I got married at 21, broke, and I don't understand. And I know what they're going to tell me. I don't understand how hard it is financially for me. And what I always tell them is, guys, I think you waiting to get married is a whole lot easier than a guy building an ark. I really do. I really, really do. Or a guy leaving to start a new people group. Guys, see, do we trust God or do we not trust God? Do we lean on our own understanding? Are we going to figure it all out ourselves? Verse 4 says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Though which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and though it being dead, this is fascinating, still speaks. What does the writer of Hebrews want us to know about Abel's faith? Well, very important. That when it comes to pleasing God, when it comes to worship, that there is a specific way, there is a specific choice. See, the lie of our day is, there's one, there's, there's one God, or you know, worship, sit in a tree stand, do whatever you want, stand on your head, walk on hot coals. No, there's always been a prescribed way of worship. Now, what's fascinating about this verse is there was no temple, there's no tabernacle, there's no sacrificial system yet. And yet we still see there's a proper form of worship. How do we know? Because they are the sons of Adam and Eve. Certainly they heard stories of the garden. Certainly they know about the fall. Certainly they know about God slaying animals in the garden to give them skins. And this is conjecture, but I believe it. I believe the place of their worship was outside of Eden. Remember when God drove them out of the garden? He put flaming swords there and the cherubim. And by the way, the cherubim were always involved in worship. The mercy seat, the tabernacle, we see pictures of them. I think they were taught by mom and dad, Adam and Eve, to go back to the gates of Eden 
and to bring a sacrifice. And Cain brings this wonderful fruit. Can you imagine the fruit looked like back then? He brings this wonderful fruit. It's beautiful. It's wonderful because he's a farmer. And I used to think, why is God down on him? He's bringing the fruit of his labor. And Abel's a shepherd. He's bringing the fruit of his labor until you realize that what Abel brought involved sacrifice, involved death, shedding of blood. By faith, he could see afar off into what God one day would do. And he says, though being dead, though he is far gone, it still speaks. Speaks to you and me today. Speaks to us through the cross, through the blood of Christ. And he did it by faith. He, he did it by not seeing what you and I can see. We know the evidence. We know about the tomb. We know about the 500 who saw Christ. We have seen. Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who believe and have never seen. And Abel saw it way earlier than anyone else. Verse 7 says, by faith Noah being divinely warned, things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, and he did something. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah had a complicated call. It had never rained before. And in his driveway, he's building something the size of the Titanic. Crazy. He's out of his mind. People probably laughed at him. And here's what was difficult. God gave him a picture of judgment, the end of the world. But there was nothing in the seen realm that would make Abraham believe it. How do we know? Because Jesus said the last days would be like the days of Noah. They were eating, drinking, giving the marriage. It was business as usual. The stock market was going through the roof. Everything was great. And there's this nut job down the street building a big boat. And yet he could see the end from the beginning. People laugh at us. They think Jesus is coming again. We think the rapture is coming. They think we're out of our minds. And yet by faith, we, we get in agreement with God that there is judgment coming. He is the judge of all the world. The world thinks seeing is believing. As Christians, we think believing is being confident even though we don't see it. Again, it's not a leap in the dark. We're confident because we've seen it through the eyes of faith. Now I want to close with this. Next week, we're going to look at the obedience of faith. So let's take a quick preview, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. If you don't know where you're going today, you have a lot in common with Abraham. He dwelt in the land of promise, a foreign city, dwelt in tents, so on and so forth. First step of faith is to obey. God speaks. He just speaks to us. We can obey Scripture. We can obey the voice of God. And then we walk out and we obey. It's not instant results. Doubt is a big part of faith. You don't think in 24 years of this church, I haven't doubted my calling, what God wanted to do. I mean, there is a dark night of the soul in every, every believer and every leader's walk of faith. Is God really in this? Is God really going to come through? There's a certain loneliness walking by faith. Because people with their natural mind are going to tell you you're out of your mind and you're stupid and you know all these different things. And then there's a day where, like David, it's between you and God. And you're forging out this relationship. And the beautiful thing is you get stronger and stronger and, and you build faith muscles the more you go along. Now, we'll get into all that next week. And I want you to think about this. Remember I asked you before, is faith a force? 
And I quoted Luke 17 where Jesus said, if you would say that mulberry bush, be uprooted and plant it in the sea, it will obey, obey you. The people that teach that never give you the context. You know what the context of that was? Relationship. Jesus said, you have been forgiven by such radical grace that you need to forgive others by the same kind of forgiveness. But you'd be excited about that. So they said, Lord, uh, how often do we have to forgive? How about seven times a day? Seven's the number of completion. Jesus said, you always have to forgive. The Bible says, never let the sun go down in your anger. As much as possible, you should live at peace with all men. Then they say this, oh my gosh, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> God, we can't forgive more. We can't forgive more. Increase our faith. God, it's so hard to forgive. It's so hard not to hold a grudge. It's so hard not to right wrongs. Jesus didn't say you need more faith. See, that's what people think. If I could just go to more conferences, read more books, I'll, I'll learn more about faith. Faith's not a force. Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, it's a small seed. Now, he didn't say you need little faith, because there were times where they didn't act the way they should have, and he said, oh, you of little faith. So, so more faith or little faith isn't the answer. He said, if your faith is like a mustard seed. Here's what's fascinating me about seeds. A seed is small. Boy, you guys all have the dropsies today. Phones. I, can't, I mean, that's like the eighth drop. Come on. Please. So, faith is a seed. There, there's a seed there. The seed is small. There's no, you can't see anything. But we all know you put it in the ground. What do you get? A big tomato plant, an oak tree. In other words, the whole world started with something unseen. Contained in that little seed is something unseen that one day can be seen. You know what Jesus was saying? He was saying, that seed contains life. And if your faith is living, and if you trust in God, and if you walk with him like Enoch, who was translated, if you walk the way Noah walked, that life will be like a seed. And if you have faith in the God of the living, to that degree, you will see something at the end of your life that was unseen to everybody around you. And that's biblical faith. And that's what we walk by. It's the substance that you and I were made of. It's the evidence of everything we're longing.